0: All right, yeah, so turn to James chapter five. My name is Jonathan Monk, I get to serve as our high school pastor. So excited to uh, to close out this great series uh, in the book of James. So we'll be looking at the last uh, the last two verses. So grateful for our time in worship. And as I think about that song, Turn Our Eyes Upon Jesus, now I wanna continue to turn our eyes upon Jesus as we continue in worship by looking at God's uh, word. So uh, James, uh, we have been in James for, for quite a while now. I think it's been... Give me a second. I'm gonna ask you to turn there. I should turn there too, right? So, I mean, I know I got the verses on the screen, but it's good to have my Bible open. All right. So, James, uh, James chapter five. So, yeah, we've been in James since uh, since March, and we have been in James. If you're new here, uh, with the focus of the truth we need to know when, and so very very practical. We've seen what is the truth that we need to know when we're making plans. What is the truth uh, when relational messes happen? when we face temptation, super practical for a lot of us, uh, when words, how we speak, James chapter three was very, very challenging to me. Uh, when we face trials, another one that was very challenging for me. So we've been well equipped to, what is the truth we need to know when these things happen? But what I love about James, sorry, one other thing I just forgot, uh, is that even when we face suffering, tearful and sick, but one of the things that I really love about James uh, is that James has a, will address all of these topics but James, as we see this morning, as he closes out this book, even addresses the topic of what happens when someone who knows the truth begins to stray from the truth. And so that's what James will finish with is what is the truth that we need to know when someone strays or when someone wanders? Or To use the language maybe in Hebrews is what is the truth that we need to know when someone uh, drifts? What is, what is the truth that we need uh, to know? And so uh, he will, he'll finish that in these last, The last two verses. So let's just read him here. He says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And so those are the two verses that we'll look at. And I think one of the first things that James points out here is who is the someone? Who is the one that is wandering from the truth? And he says, my brethren, if any among you, strays from the truth. And so we see here that James is talking about uh, a believer who has strayed from the truth because he says, my brothers uh, among you. So where we really think at CFC, our understanding of the scripture is he's talking about a believer who has strayed from the truth, a believer who is, again, another language to use here, straying from the truth is he's talking about someone who's walking in sin. And I know that in my own life, James has, has convicted me throughout this series because there's moments where I stray. Moments I stray in that I am supposed to count trials as joy. But when I look at my own life, just in the last year, year and a half, I hear count trials as joy. I struggle to do that sometimes, I know about you. And when, that, um, when, when I'm supposed to count trials as joy and I don't do that, there begins to be a strain that takes place in my life. Or James chapter three, I just mentioned a second ago, I get angry with someone, and instead of blessing someone with my words, I burn someone. That was the language that Doug used. I burn someone with my words, or I hurt someone with my words. There's a strain that takes place. Flee temptation. I don't flee temptation. I give in to temptation. There's a strain that takes place in my life. So do you see what I'm saying? So we believe, James chapter five is talking about a believer who has strained from the truth, and I think we all stray. We all stray. We all have the tendency to walk in sin and to stray from the truth. I mean, even as I go backwards here to the Old Testament, Psalm 119, which by the way, anybody who knows me well, in almost every sermon I teach, I gotta drop a Psalm in at some point, right? I just love the Psalms. So I am teaching James (laughs) chapter five, but I love the Psalms. So I'm just gonna drop in a Psalm here real quick, but I do think it's helpful. It's Psalm 119, David here, or not David, but the, the Psalmist is writing, 176 verses of how he loves the word. He says, "Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It's my meditation. It's my joy. I love your word. I love your word. It's better than gold." And then look at how uh, uh, Psalm 119 ends, and I think this is fitting for us to see. Look, do you see what he says? The last verse of one of the most well-known chapters that speaks about a man who loves God's word, and yet he recognized this in his own life. I've gone astray. Like a lost sheep, seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. So I think that can be true of all of us. So before we jump to think about other people, we all have the tendency to go astray. I mean, think about this. What famous hymn, written not about an unbeliever, but written about a believer, describes how we can go astray? Do you know the name of that hymn? You know what I'm talking about? What hymn is it that speaks about how we wander? Come thou fount, come thou fount of every blessing. it starts with tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. And then do you know where it gets to later in the song? It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's a song that is talking about a believer's tendency to stray from the truth. And I think that we all have the tendency to, to stray from the truth. So, um, so what's the truth we need to know Believer stray from the truth I think this next truth here as I want to look back at the text is who goes and talks to them like when when I go astray or when you see someone that goes astray who's supposed to go and talk to them let's look back at the text my brethren okay so he's talking about brothers if any among you stray from the truth and one turns him back who's the one who's he talking about here who goes and turns them back what's that A believer, right, another believer. Notice here, James doesn't say, when someone strays from the truth, you call the elders. Just like when someone's sick, you go call the elders. That was last week. James doesn't say, call the elders. He says, one, speaking about, I think, another believer. I think Galatians 6 is helpful here, a passage that talks about uh, restoring a brother. So someone's gone astray. So I'm flipping out of James to go to Galatians. Paul says this in Galatians 6. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespasses, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Why do they need to be restored? Because they've gone astray. And who's the one who brings them back? The one who is is spiritual. And who is the one who is spiritual? The one who has a Bible degree? The one who is spiritually mature in the sense that they've been walking with the Lord for 30 plus years? The one who has a lot of Bible verses memorized? No, he says the one who is spiritual. And who is the one who is spiritual? And I think in context, Galatians 6 and Galatians 5, he says the one who walks by the Spirit. The one who walks by the spirit, put the death, the deeds of the flesh, is filled with the spirit, fruit of the spirit is evident in their life. I think that is the one who is spiritual. So do you see here, I'm trying to use James and Galatians to basically make this point. And I think this is one of the first big truths that we need to see. When you and I see a brother or sister go astray, I think we all have a responsibility as believers to bring them back. And so I want you to write this down, is that uh, when a believer strays, we all share in the responsibility of of turning them back. Now obviously you're gonna be like, wait, I don't even know them and and I'm gonna get to some practicalities towards the end of this message, but when a believer shares, we all share in the responsibility of turning them back. And I think if we don't start here, it's gonna be easy to think, well, you see someone that strays, but it's someone else's responsibility. That's like, that's on some people. No, I think this is on all of us as believers, we share the responsibility of turning somebody back, and of course, it could begin with prayer, and we'll get to that in a second. But I, I think this first truth has helped me see that if we all share in the responsibility of turning somebody back, we're not just spectators sitting back, seeing people stray, seeing a marriage that might seem off, seeing an individual that something's not right here, and instead of seeing something and not saying anything, we just we just don't we don't want to we don't want to it's not my place, or we don't we don't do anything, but. With this first truth is we're not. I hope we. See, as I'm trying to see this is that we're not spectators sitting back, but we're participants. That we have an active role in the life of one another. We want to play an active role in their journey as a disciple. That we want to help. We want to help people grow. Help them. Help them grow in the sense that if something seems off about this marriage, if something seems off about this person, where are they? They used to attend first hour. I don't see them as much anymore. They're not returning my calls. They seem to be discouraged. Their countenance is rather down. They don't seem as joyful as they once were. They seem to be very serious. What's going on with this person? When we see something, we wanna say something. And we wanna see, I think this, what this is helping me see personally is this is a way we care for people. A quote that I heard recently was the wandering heart. You can write this down if you want. Um, a wandering heart needs a watchful eye. A wandering heart needs a watchful eye that when, if we all have the tendency to wander, we need people in our life that will be watching out, looking to point us back to truth. You know, we don't want to be like the, the two guys in the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, not a story about someone who strays, but a story about someone in need. A guy's beat up, he's bleeding, he's, he's, in a di- he's in a ditch, and two people see someone in need, and what do they do? They just pass by. They just pass by and, and let someone else, you know, deal with it. And then the good Samaritan, he steps in, he sees something, and then he does something, and he sees, this is an opportunity for me to love somebody really well. So he, he, he steps in, and I think that's how I want us to be. That's how I want to be is looking in the lives of other people. Who seems to be a bit off if I see something? I want to step in and say something to somebody as a way to turn them back, as a way to love them well. So James here, he's, uh, he's pretty direct, isn't he? Pretty practical, as we've seen throughout this series. Very simple. And James is basically saying, someone turns or someone strays, just turn them back. And when I read these verses, I'm like, come on, James, it's not that easy. Like, have you ever had someone in your life, like a family member or a dad or a brother or sister, who you've seen them stray? They don't just turn back like that. This is hard. This can be a bit discouraging. And so I wanna recognize that maybe there's people in this room that you know someone in your life who has strayed and you've tried and they haven't turned back. Like, this, this can be kind of a tough passage to come to. And when you look at these verses, James makes it seem so easy. They stray, just turn them back. What if they don't turn? What if you've tried and you failed? What if they shut you down? What if they blow you off? And this is, where I, this is where it's good to just sit for a second in this passage, because yes, I think this is true. We as believers all share in the responsibility of turning them back. But you know what we have to recognize? Yeah, we can't do this. That I can't, right? but he can, he the Lord can, and he wants to do it through me. So I think this is a humbling passage because no, we can't do this, but God does the turning. He ultimately is the one who turns and he's the ultimately one that changes hearts and he can bring people back. This is reminded Thursday night, sitting in the back of the room as Matt was leading worship, that in my own life, I've recognized so I've gone astray and the Lord has turned me back. And I was like, man, thank you, Lord. like, let's, let's just, like, it's almost good to, like, pause for a moment and say, L- Lord, we praise you, and we know that you can turn people back even people who have gone astray, even people who've gone astray for several years, even people who once were on a church staff, even people who attended church for several years, and then for several years there's a, there's a period in their life where they just don't go to church and they isolate themselves from believers. Even people like that who go astray and you're like, man, why, why aren't they turning back? The Lord even turns people like that back. I've seen that in my own family. And this passage is real to me. And what I love about James is you see what James was on his heart. The last two verses, what James cares about is people who've gone astray. And I think James is just like Jesus here. It's people that have gone astray that breaks his hearts, right, and we want, we want, we want these people to be on our hearts, and we wanna say, Lord, would you turn these people back? And I think we have to recognize that, yeah, we have a responsibility to play, but it's the Lord who does it. And if it's the Lord who does it, uh, I just wanna pause right now and just pray. And I wanna pray for us just briefly here. And as I pray briefly, I wanna ask a couple of questions. And then I'll pray for us and then we'll move, we'll move into this, more into this message. But I want to just ask this is that, um, do you know someone who's gone astray? That's kind of an obvious question maybe to ask, but I think we all do. No, no, this is kind of a hard message to hear on a Sunday. But for that person that's gone astray, is I want to pray for you. Pray for them in a second. But, um, uh, and, and then, uh, you know, maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's someone in your family. Is that someone you work with? Maybe several people are coming to mind. The Lord has brought one person to mind all week long. There's one person I am praying for. uh, A younger person that I'm praying, Lord, bring him back. So I'm gonna pray for that. Um, But then second here, I wanna ask, maybe it's not you know someone that's gone astray, but are you the one that has gone astray? That you're attending church every Sunday, outwardly you seem fine, but inwardly, and you're making some decisions and there's compromise taking place in your life. And so if you're the one that has gone astray, I want to pray that the Lord would bring you back. I don't know who you are, but the Lord does. And we believe his word is powerful and we believe he speaks and we believe he draws people back. So let's just pause now as a way to just um, express dependence on the Lord and ask him for help. Father, um, as we just pause for a moment in this message, um, I, I think about 1 Corinthians, that it's not wise or persuasive words, but... Uh, it's, a, it's about your power, your spirit. And So just asking that you would speak to us. Lord, we're asking for people that have gone astray, that you would turn them back. Lord, would you give us a heart for them? Would you, would you help us to love them like you do? Lord, we believe and we do know that you desire for people to walk with you, not walk apart from you. And so, Lord, asking for you to bring these believers back that they would walk in truth, that they would experience your joy, that they would see that life is better lived with you than without you. And Lord, we also recognize that there may be some of us in this room this morning that have gone astray. And so we're asking, Lord, that there would be conviction, and we'd see that conviction is sweet, that there would be repentance, that you would stir the affections of their heart, that they would uh, walk with you. Lord, would would you speak to us? We just want to pause for a moment, Lord. We're asking that you would would speak. Lord, we want to hear from you. Lord, we are dependent upon you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So now, um, I want to go to the last verse in, in verse 20 here. And I think James provides a motivator. When someone is turned back, when we have the privilege of being an instrument of the Lord, of seeing someone turn back, what happens? I mean, like, why, why should we do this? And that is another way of, of, he's got a motivator here. And I think it's in verse 20. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save, so I see two things here, will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I've wrestled with this for several weeks now. This is a tough phrase here, just to acknowledge. Save his soul from death? Like, what is, he, what is James talking about here? And there's a lot of different ways people interpret this. Some people think that he's talking about spiritual death. But just to clarify, as I said earlier, um, we think that James is talking about a believer. So our understanding of here at CFC, we don't think James has a spiritual death in mind because that would imply that you can stray your way out of salvation or stray your way into hell. And so again, someone who thinks this is a spiritual death, they would interpret this as an unbeliever. We think this is a believer. Uh, We don't think a believer can lose their salvation. Ephesians 1, they've been sealed with the Spirit. We think, our understanding here at CFC of this passage, though it is difficult, is that he's talking about a uh, physical death, not a spiritual death. A physical death based upon the context in which Doug taught last week, uh, where a person is experiencing sickness because of sin as a discipline of the Lord, and they need to confess so that they will be healed. So again, tough passage here, um, but a person's strain could be a sick person who needs to confess, and if they don't, they could experience death as a result of their, of their sin. So um, a little confusing here, but I think it's easy to miss the point. The point is people have gone astray. We need to bring them back. The next part here, he says, when a person is brought back, they, uh, their sin is covered. Not that we forgive their sin or we uh, have the authority to do that, but we know that when we get a chance to talk to a brother or sister and their sin is acknowledged, and they confess their sin, their sin is forgiven. You know, when we get to basically play the role of a Nathan in the life of a David, where Nathan brings, his sin, brings up the sin to David, David confesses his sin, and then David says, I've acknowledged my sin. Nathan says, the Lord has put away your sin. Your sin is forgiven. And by the way, what, what a motivator this is. For you and I get to, ha- to get to have one-on-one conversations with people who have strayed, for them to see their sin, confess, and then for them to see that their guilt is gone, that they can be forgiven, that the, re- that the joy of their salvation can be restored, I think this is a motivator here. So that's how James kind of finishes there in verse 20. Now what I wanna do is give basically kind of five practical ways of, of when we see someone stray, how do we turn them back? And so James here, it, it almost, it doesn't say They stray, turn them back. And so I'm gonna go outside of James to a few different passages that I think provide help here of how do we actually do this. And so I think we start uh, prayerfully. We start prayerfully, we begin in prayer. As I just prayed a second ago, we see someone who has gone astray, what do we do? I think we start with prayer. And when I say start with prayer, I think we pray for our own hearts first, then for the person who's gone astray. When I say prayerfully, I think we take passages like Matthew seven and we personalize passages like these. We pray them for our own hearts. And basically to set this up, we pray passages like this to go, have I gone astray? I see how they've gone astray, but have I gone astray in any way? Is there any unconfessed sin in my life? So we we take a passage like Matthew seven and we begin to pray this. "Why Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, so first deal with my own sin, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There's a sense in which, have I gone astray? And, And I think this is so helpful and healthy because we take passages like this and we begin to pray them over our own hearts so that we can go to a brother or sister in sin and we go to them as, hey, I'm one in progress. I haven't reached perfection yet. I'm coming to you humbly, not arrogantly. So this is very important to pray. I think we also, uh, we pray passages like Luke chapter 11, which is a general passage on prayer where the disciples uh, ask Jesus, hey, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, you wanna know how to pray? And he says, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and he teaches them how to pray. But then right at the very end, he tells a parable about how prayer is persistent and you can knock on a door. He then says, hey, ask and keep asking. And so I think Jesus there teaches us that in prayer, we can ask boldly, persistently, and we continue to ask. And so if you think about the person in your own life who's gone astray, what would you ask for? And I think we want to come to the Lord persistently. We want to ask, obviously here, that their heart would be changed. We want to ask that they would be led, that they would see their sin and they would be led to repentance. I think about like, um, in my own, a family member's life. I, I've prayed other passages. I've prayed John 14, uh, 26, what John, John 14, 26 says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, will guide and remind you of all truth. And I've taken that verse and I've prayed for a family member. And I've said, Lord, today, this is what I'm asking. Lord, I'm asking John 14, 26, that by your Holy Spirit, you would remind them of truth today. So maybe this is a way in which you can pray before you even speak to them. You're praying for your own heart and then you're praying for them. Lord, change their heart. Lord, bring truth to mind. Lord, remind them of things that they've heard. And as you think about praying for the person who has gone astray in your own life, just very practically here, you, what would it look like if you started the day with prayer for them or you set an alarm on your phone, 7 a.m. or you finished the day uh, praying for them? But I think if we're gonna see in this body people who have turned, brought back, I think it's, it's, it's a desperate prayer of Lord. Lord, I can't, but you can. Lord, I'm desiring to see this person turn back. And we begin to pray, Lord, bring truth to mind. So what I wanna do right now is I wanna pause and I wanna apply this. I wanna apply that we're saying, we see ter- people turn back prayerfully. I wanna ha- give you the opportunity just quietly, not out loud, for you to pray for you to pray in two ways, first for your own heart, and then for the heart of the one who's gone astray. So go ahead and uh, I'll close this out in just a second and pray. So you take a moment there, just you're asking the Lord to search your own heart. Or is there any unconfessed in my own life? As we think about the one who's gone astray, is there something that you want to confess to the Lord or need to confess to the Lord quietly? And then now as you think about that face or the, the name that the Lord has brought to mind, let's ask the Lord boldly and confidently. Lord, let's ask the Lord, Lord, would you change their heart? Let's ask the Lord, Lord, would you turn him back to you? Let's ask the Lord that when you get a chance to talk to them, that there would be a listening that would lead to repentance, that this person would be won over. Father, we, um, we want to be a body that cares about people that have gone astray. So, Lord, we're continuing to ask that you would do this, that you bring him back. In Jesus' name, amen. So we go prayerfully, and then Jesus teaches us next, um, we've prayed for them, now, now what do, how, how do we go to them? And so this is what Jesus says. If your brother sins against you, if they've gone astray, go and show him his fault in private, And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. So we go prayerfully, privately. Privately so that we're not trying to speak to them in a crowd, we're trying to speak to them directly. Uh, We're going to them privately because not everybody needs to know about this. Other people know about this. It could change their perception of that person. So we start by going to them privately. And we go to them privately with the prayer that they would listen. Not listen to our advice, not listen to our opinions, but that they would listen to his word. And his word is better than any word that, I mean, they've ever heard. So we want them to, to pray that they would listen to him. And that in their listening, they wouldn't just be like, yeah, I hear you but we're praying that their listening would lead to repentance and that ultimately they would be won over. I've been guilty in these conversations of thinking that the goal is to win a argument, but it's not to win an argument, it's to win a person. It's not to be right, it's not to put them in their place, it's not to get back at them, it's not to put it, you know, be mad or whatever, but it's to, man, I wanna really win this person over. And so again, as you think about, if the Lord has brought someone to mind today and you're thinking about someone that you may talk to this week, I think it's very good before you step into this conversation to go, man, what is my tone going to be like? How am I going to speak to them? Am I trying to get back at them? Or genuinely, do I want to win this brother or sister over? I think this can be tough, but it's good questions to ask of ourselves. So we go to them, we go to them privately. And then kind of a sub point here is we go relationally. And let me explain what I mean by that. We go relationally. Jesus very clearly says privately, but I say relationally, and this is just sub-point of this, I don't mean I have to have a very, very close relationship with them until I can confront them, or I have to spend hours and upon hours with them before I confront them. No, when I say relationally, I say I'm gonna go in private, but in that first conversation, when I say relationally, what I mean is I'm willing to spend time with you in order to help you grow. I'm willing to spend and invest time with you To help you turn, that we're saying relationally and that I will be here for this conversation now, but I also want you to know I want to be here for future conversations. This isn't just like a, relationally I'm saying, this isn't just like a five-minute conversation and then I'm done, but I really, I want to, I care about you. I want to invest a relationship with you. And when I think about the five years that I've been here, our high school leaders do this so well that when we go to Breakaway and we go on our retreats and we have a Agape and Drizzle, our small group ministries on Sunday nights, our leaders do this so well because our leaders see in the four years that they lead, they see students that go astray, right? And they get a chance to point them back to the truth. And I think our leaders do that so well in the context of relationship that when they have those hard conversations, our leaders make themselves available to spend time with them. So, Let's go relationally, that we care about this person, that this person that we're trying to point truth to, they're not just a task, but they're a person we wanna love well, like Jesus would love well. And I think both Matthew 7 and Matthew 18 are relational passages. I think Jesus, when Peter goes astray, after Peter had denied him, I think Jesus spent time with Peter, publicly and privately, as a way to restore and bring Peter Back. So we go relationally. This next passage, I wanna go back to Galatians. So fourth, fourthly here is, so we're, I'm sitting down with someone in a conversation and I begin to speak to them. With, which, with what kind of tone do I speak? And I think Paul gives us this answer right here. Galatians 6, brethren, so we, we already read this passage. Even if anyone is caught in any trespasses, you who are spiritual, restore, turn them back, with such one in a spirit of gentleness, each one look into yourself so that you will not be tempted. So we go, we go gently. We go gently because of what we see in Proverbs. A gentle answer turns away wrath. So imagine you're in a conversation with someone. I mean, just think about this. You're, you're calling out sin in their life. We gotta expect some people are gonna get defensive, right? Like some people are gonna get mad. And we wanna be careful how we respond in those moments. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So we go gently. And we go gently because to go harshly, we're like First Corinthians 13, we're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We're just making noise. But we wanna go with a, in, a, in, a, in a gentle way. We wanna go uh, gentle because, man, we, wanna, we want to win them over. I think uh, in my own life, gentle words have communicated, I care for you. I know this um, recently I had Uh, A friend, basically, they confronted me. So the very thing I'm talking about, they pulled me aside. I think I had gone astray. They pointed me to truth. What, What was the sin or whatever they were pointing out? It was fear of man. And they said, Jonathan, this is a pattern that I've noticed in your life. There's a struggle of fear of man. They talked me through some things that they've observed. And in a tone of gentleness and compassion, they basically said to me, they asked me two questions. They said, Jonathan, what's going on? And then second, they said, how can I help? And they just pause and their, their gentleness like won me over. Their gentleness made me relax and go, I don't need to be defensive. I don't, need to, I don't need to fire back. I can literally sit back. We're looking like right across from each other on a couch. I can just sit back and, and hear what they have to say. Their, their gentleness won me over. I think gentleness goes a long way. You know what I'm saying? Because if we're not gentle, the, the, the person's gonna think we're trying to attack them. But we wanna say, I love you. I care for you. So we wanna come with a gentle tone. Now, the, the, the fifth one is probably the hardest. Yes, we need to be gentle, but at some point in the conversation, there needs to be a boldness. So lastly, I think we see, we go boldly. We go boldly to speak words of warning and promises. And when I say bold, I mean bold first to just schedule a time to talk to them which that in itself would be really hard. If the Lord's brought someone to mind to to this morning, for you to go and talk to them, it's gonna take some boldness to try to schedule a meeting, just to to walk into that conversation. But I think obviously boldness to be able to speak what needs to be spoken to them. Where do we see boldness in scripture, like in the Old Testament? I think Nathan, uh, when he sees David has gone astray, Nathan speaks words of boldness. I think Nathan was gentle with David in that he tells a parable and he tells a parable so that David can come to the conclusion that he's that man. But I don't know that David did. David gets mad and Nathan's boldness to David is, you are that man. Those are bold words. And I think when we go astray, we need people to speak boldly to us. In other areas of my life and other times where I've gone astray, I've had people speak bold words to me like this. "J Monk, that's a slow fade that leads to a foolish trade. Don't do that. Or I've had other people say to me, hey, uh, here's what I've seen in your life. You're a person who has a sensitivity towards sin and you walk in the truth. And they're like, you just need to be careful because I think you need to be someone who continues to be sensitive and walks in truth. And they're very direct in the way they spoke to me. I think we need to be bold with people as we share passages like this. There's lots of passages that we could go to, but uh, we need to be bold in speaking warnings like there will be tribulation and distress for every." soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we need to, uh, to point people to, man, do you see where this sin is going? Man, this, isn't, this does not end well. And this leads to death. But also we are bold in speaking, here's a warning, but also here is, but glory, a, a promise, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we speak words of boldness to the one who has gone astray. And this can be tough. But if you think about in this conversation, that that actually could be a conversation where it starts hard, but it almost ends joyful. Because what, think about this, guys, what an opportunity it is as the person is receptive, and hopefully that happens and the spirit does that. What an opportunity to point someone to, if you continue, this is where this leads. But if you turn, man, this is where this leads. Like we get an opportunity to point people to truth. Like this leads to death, like this, this only leads to regret this is a slow fade that leads to a foolish trade that sin will entice but never satisfy and yes these are like these are more negative and hard things to say uh, but they've strayed they can repent and be forgiven we get to point people to with boldness like there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ so those are Bold words we get to, peop- to, to point people to. I think on the positive side, we also get to point people back to, hey, like as we try to persuade them to come back with, hey, do you not know that life is better lived with God than, life, than, than without him? We get to point people back to moments where we know they've experienced the Lord. We get to point people back to truth like, man, do you know that joy is found in the Lord? Do you remember the experience that, that you've had with the Lord? That, that we get to basically convince them of what's true about God's word that is that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. This, these are bold words we get to speak to the one who's gone astray. To the one who's gone astray, the rules of the Lord are true. The one who's gone astray, see, do, you, do you know the challenge with the person who's gone astray? They actually think that the way they're going is actually better. And we, we get to say, we get to say, we get to be instruments to say, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired they than gold, even much fine gold. Moreover, by them, to the one who's gone astray, moreover, by them is your servant warned, you're being warned, but by them, man, there's great reward with obedience to the scriptures. Man, what a, what a joy it is to be able to point people who've gone astray back to, not just the hard truth of consequences, it's the reality that there's grace, there's forgiveness in Christ alone. We get to point people back who've gone astray to truths like Philippians 3.20, that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We get, we get a chance to point people back to the truth who have gone astray, that one day there will be no more strain. That one day, as if you're in Christ, you will see him face to face. There'll be no more strain and you will sing through all eternity that you, there you will, your eyes will be turned towards him and you will see him face to face. I want to point people who back you who have gone astray to that reality. And so James finishes, when a believer strays, we all share in the responsibility of turning them back, but it's God who does the turning through us. How? Prayerfully, privately, relationally, gently, and boldly. And so here's how James ends. This is the word of the Lord. This is God's word. My brethren, last two words in this book. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Pretty simple, straightforward. Um, And I don't don't know what the situation is in your own life, but I understand it's easy to hear these truths and they go, yeah, this is tough, this is hard. Do people who have gone astray turn back? And I would say, yes. And this passage has become real to me and personal because I've seen people in my family who have gone astray and I've seen them turn back. So one of them would be uh, my dad. And so my my dad, his name is Douglas Monk. Uh, He actually passed away last month on uh, July 1st and uh, love my dad, so grateful for him, the love for worship that I have, um, but because of how the Lord's used him in my life. But my, my dad, a little bit about his story, I just want to honor him. And um, he came to know the Lord in his early 20s and then uh, went on to Bible college at C- CBC, CIU, where a lot of us on staff have went. He went on into ministry and uh, he was a worship leader on staff for several years and did counseling. And um, but through a certain event, uh, he ended up uh, leaving ministry. And not only did he leave the ministry, he just left attending church for, for several years. And it was a time where I I didn't quite understand all that was going on, but I I watched this truth as I look back. This truth came alive in in my dad's life. My dad who had gone astray, isolated himself from believers, but by conviction and by the spirit, my, my dad was brought back. And who did that? Well, the Lord did that. And who did he do it through? I think he did it through my brother, Josiah. I think I was able to have a part in that. I don't know that all five of these were practiced perfectly. You know, These are principles. And every situation is different, but I praise the Lord. I I praise the Lord that I get to teach this passage with confidence of, I saw my dad go astray and he was turned back. He he had not been in church for about 12 years. And before he passed, man, we had, what a joy this is. We had an opportunity to go into a church one time, brought him back to church. And it was the church, I found this out later, that he actually grew up going to. We walk in the church on the left-hand side. First thing he sees is the cross. I was like, what, what, a, what a great thing for one who has gone astray to turn back and to see the cross. We sang hymns together. We sang a hymn that as uh, it goes, let the redeemed say so. And my dad was like, yes, he did. Yes, he did. And he was singing that joyful because my dad had been redeemed and he was saying so. And um, I, I could go on and on. I have limited minutes here, but I could go on for about an hour about my dad. Uh, I, I love the Lord more because of my dad. Uh, and here's what's so significant about my dad's story is that as the lord turned him back uh in the last year there was a moment where i had gone astray and we had a one-on-one conversation and my dad spoke (laughs) gently but yet boldly to me and uh he, he he sharpened me and i said to him i said dad it feels like the lord's mad at me and my dad said to me he's not mad at you son and my dad went on to say and he's not surprised by what you're going through and my dad with such clarity pointing me to truth and then I realized, man, my dad had become a powerful instrument of the Lord towards the end there uh, because I think he, had, he himself had gone astray and he found the joy that came with being brought back. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so, so d- does this text come alive? It does. It does. And it can, it can come alive in your life. Um, and I, and I, really, I really believe that. So uh, just a couple questions I want to ask you as we close out uh, and we prepare to sing this last song. Do you know someone who's gone astray? And if you do, I think the text that the the Lord is saying to us this morning is, you know someone that's gone astray? Go get them, go after them. Let let, let this morning's message give you boldness to go after them. And then another question, if you're the one who's gone astray, come on back. Come back. And and why why would you come back? Because life is better lived with the Lord than without the Lord. If you continue to go astray, that's that's a harder road. Don't do that. Come on back. Not next week, not three weeks from now, but today. Come on back. How do you come on back? Uh, tell the Lord all your resolutions. Tell the Lord what you're going to do differently. No, no, no. How do you come back? Uh, by repentance. And you cry out to the Lord and you acknowledge your sin. And then what becomes true for David becomes true for you. Psalm 32, I acknowledge my sin to you, and the Lord forgave me of my sin. Come back to Him today. And the um, and, uh, Lord's gracious. And we get to sing about His grace. We get to sing now. Uh, about his mercies that are never ceasing. so let's stand uh, and, and sing this song that reminds us that we are we all wonder, uh, but his mercies are never ceasing.
1: I found every blessing, to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Jesus' song.